This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. So we went through a time back in April and May where there were all these dire predictions that we would have extreme food shortages in the United States and that there would be things you would not be able to get for who knows how long. And it led to uh, a lot of panic buying. There had already been panic buying of paper products, toilet paper, and various food items, canned goods, things like that. But what the uh, alarmists failed to take into account is how good businesses, how good business owners are, how good capitalism is at responding and reacting to things that seem like they're insurmountable in the short term, but they're able pretty quickly to come to grips with it. And I know there are already articles appearing about how we're going to have a uh, potentially very large spike in coronavirus mixed with seasonal flu coming up as soon as in the next month, and that it's going to lead to panic buying from consumers again for goods like occurred particularly in April and May. And I want to give you some peace of mind that retailers and manufacturers have really responded to the needs of the marketplace and have made changes that are going to make even some level of panic buying that could occur not have as much effect on product shortages as we had particularly in the spring and you're not going to have to run out and worry you're not going to be able to find whatever so here are two factors uh, one that i addressed before and that is the reduction in options or choices that uh, the supermarket industry has moved much more towards the Aldi kind of model of reducing the varieties of goods they have on their shelves. Manufacturers have been part of that, reducing the varieties. And I think about something that I consume that a lot of people are very upset that I consume this, but I drink soft drinks. I drink diet soft drinks. And the variety available to me and the packaging of them is a tiny fraction of what it was six months ago. The uh, Pepsi and Coke people have been able to uh, help with supply by having longer production runs without having to change over lines of a smaller variety 
uh, both packaging and flavors. And it's allowed supermarkets to have uh, much better inventory control than they would have had before. And this happened across so many product lines that the rationalization of not having 38 different kinds of ketchup in a supermarket, but having just a few and maybe a couple of varieties of sizes has made the marketplace much more efficient. The second thing is supermarkets have operated in recent years, probably for about the last 12 years, on what's known as uh, JIT, just-in-time inventory methods, that are all the rage in corporate America. And having very little inventory available, in many cases having just hours of sell-through of inventory in different product categories, worked fine until coronavirus, and then it didn't work at all. And any of a number of manufacturers and supermarkets are now stocking inventory in much larger numbers than prior. And so that also means there will be, if there is panic buying, there will be the occasional spot shortages of different items. But as far as things being in a situation like where we had very little of this, that, or the other available, that is not going to repeat. It's time for your questions that you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel take turns with Kim up first. All right. This is from Robert in Georgia. Robert says, my wife and I joined the Regal Cinema Unlimited program in November of 2019. That timing worked out really well. Yeah, he says that they really enjoyed it until COVID hit and then Regal did the right thing and they stopped the monthly debit at the beginning of March. However, they just attempted to charge the card again this September. Fortunately, the attempt was made against a credit card that Robert had replaced with a newer one, so it didn't go through. But now Regal has reached out to Robert in an attempt to get a new card on file. There was a one-year initial commitment that Regal required to join the program, and they were fine with that when there was no COVID. However, he says, my wife and I are not comfortable going to the movies in a theater at this point. What do you recommend? So what I recommend in this case is that you see if you can freeze your membership until it feels safe to go into a movie theater again. Uh, Polling shows that overwhelmingly people are not going to feel safe going into a movie theater again until there's a widespread adoption of a vaccine that seems to work or treatments that people have confidence in. So The movie theater business is just dead in the water until people have that confidence. So uh, Regal offering you the opportunity to freeze your membership would be a reasonable compromise. You are bound by the conditions of having agreed to the one-year membership. So being able to put it into suspended animation till you are comfortable, hopefully sometime in the second half of 21, that's keeping my hopes up that at that point people will feel will feel comfortable going into a theater but you do have a legal obligation to regal if they don't want to give you the option of a freeze 
Joel. Clark Aaron in Colorado says, we've been renting a home in Colorado for about six months now. We're very interested in buying the home, though the owner doesn't know this. We've drafted a letter explaining how much we've loved living in the house, and we've enjoyed the neighborhood too. Uh, What's your advice for approaching and possibly convincing the owners to sell to us? We have a great down payment, 20% of the home's value, but we just want to go about this in the best way possible. So uh, don't overthink it. You know, the owner of the home either has an interest in selling eventually or sometime in the near future, or they don't. So just uh, send not too dramatic of a note. Just send a note saying, you know, we'd really, we love living in your house. And we were just curious if you have any interest in selling it to us because we'd love to make it our forever home. Uh, One thing I would do is spend some time checking equivalent values in your neighborhood because if that initial inquiry that you want to keep very, very low key generates interest from the owner of the property, you also are going to have to answer the question that will next come out of the owner's mouth, and that is, what are you thinking of paying for it? And so knowing the immediate neighborhood and what fair market value is is going to be key to convincing that owner, if they're on the bubble, that they want to sell to you. Kim? Andy in Florida says, isn't a joint account protected by FDIC or NCUA up to $500,000? I always hear you just talk about two hundred and fifty. So the FDIC has a calculator you can use at FDIC.gov that will walk you through under what conditions your coverage extends. And I took a position after the um, bank failures of uh, 2007 to 12 that this is an area you do not want to rely on anybody at the bank on telling you what is covered or what is not. And I went beyond that uh, because of very difficult calls I got from people who ended up losing money under the, um, the payoffs that the FDIC arranged and the mergers and all that, that I really want you to just not push it. You can, though, go, if you go to FDIC.gov, go halfway down the page, and there's the deposit insurance estimator where you can calculate what coverages you have direct from the source at the FDIC and make sure that you have coverage to the limit you're looking for. My advice, though, is stay below the quarter million dollar limit in a bank. Don't push it. I'd rather you, if you have those kind of resources, have your money at more than one financial institution. So I realize my answer is anti-intellectual, but it's also drawn on the real experience of the hardship that, that I heard from people who lost life savings in various bank failures that occurred during the Great Recession. Joel? Clark Armand in Georgia says, hi to you and your amazing team. My question regards automatic investing for a Roth IRA. 
it seems like investing more frequently would be more beneficial in terms of dollar cost averaging. So would you recommend investing $500 a month or $115 a week instead? Mathematically, you're right that over multiple decades, doing 115 uh, four times a month would be more productive than $500 all at once, uh, would make you marginally more money over the decades. In fact, the oddest thing is that just doing $6,000 at the beginning of each year would have an even greater impact. The reason I like for people to do just a flat amount every month, or in your case, every you know, uh, four times a month, is that uh, you're creating a habit. And a habit put in place increases the odds that you're going to continue that habit and build up substantial amount of money over time. If you are putting in 6000 at the beginning of each year, every year, and it's automatic for you that you do that, the impact down the road is going to create more money for you because of more time in the market. But with more upset in the short term, because if a market correction or bear market happens during that year, you front-loaded all those years' contributions. That's why psychologically people feel more comfortable doing the flat 500 a month. Kim? Anna in Iowa says, hi, my husband and I are in the process of building a budget and we're wondering how much we should be putting aside for our rainy day fund. So set a goal that over a period of years, you get to where you have six months of living expenses in a rainy day account and be realistic. It might take you three years. It might take you five years. It might take you two years to build up enough money that you have six months of living expenses in a rainy day account. Don't try to do it all at once, but build it up methodically over time. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Kevin is with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Kevin, you're trying to do a good deed and you're being told, no, you can't do it. What's the, <laughs> what's the scoop? Yeah. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking the call. So. Absolutely. My wife and I wanted to give her godson a head start on his retirement savings when he graduated high school. We set aside $1,500 to start a Roth IRA for him. However, as he's gone through the process of trying to set up the account, they won't allow it because he has no tax returns and no prior income. So we're trying to find out what options we might have to, to find another source of getting him started. So there is an alternative, and do you have a particular place that uh, her godson's been trying to open an account, which would give me guidance, maybe what I might recommend? Yes, we are trying to use Fidelity. Oh, well, that, gosh, you made it easy for me. So <laughs> not being eligible yet for a Roth IRA, uh, her godson could take the $1,500 and put it into a Fidelity Zero fund. 
Fidelity has, as I recall, four versions of the zero fund. Fidelity is a marketing ploy, issues these funds where there's no commissions and there's no ongoing expenses. So he would get exactly the return of the market, and because they are index funds, the tax treatment, although not as fantastic as a Roth, which is tax-free, the tax treatment is ultra, ultra favorable on an index fund. Um, you have to have just a dollar to open one. In this case, he'd have $1,500, and it would build up quite a nice amount of money over the years that would be treated extra favorably over the years and then even when uh, he has to pay tax on it when it's sold. So it's a good way station uh, till being able to open a Roth IRA. But uh, her godson is 18? Yes. Um, How soon is he going to start working at a job? Well, he's going to college, so probably not for a few years yet. Okay. So then the answer I gave would be right, is to do the Fidelity Zero Fund. And to keep it simple, I would do the the Fidelity Zero Total Stock Market Index Fund. And that $1,500 will be an enormous benefit to him years down the road. It could be used, let's say, um, later on for a down payment on a house, or it could just sit there and grow towards much later in life, towards retirement. It can serve many different purposes. And what you're giving up is tax-free, but it's still very tax-favorable. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you have. A couple of times over the last few months, I've talked about how It is now a renter's market, not a landlord's market, in most communities in the United States. There are a few rare exceptions of cities where the landlords still have the upper hand, but for the most part across the United States, you as a would-be tenant or an existing tenant, you've got the power if you want to use it. And there are a number of strategies that you can employ. They vary a little if you're an existing tenant somewhere or you're somebody going to look for a place to rent. But I want to tell you some of my low-tech ways for you to scout an apartment community and see what kind of opportunity there may be for you. And one of them is when you've identified an area that you're interested in living a particular neighborhood or area, you want to drive around and look at apartment complexes always at night. Why at night? Because a place that may look inviting during the day 
may for whatever reason not feel as safe at night and i want you with any place you're looking at to be looking at a place where you feel safe night and day because a lot of times you're going to be arriving leaving whatever after dark and i want you to feel safe but there's another reason for looking after dark and that is if you see a lot a lot of empty parking spaces at an apartment complex you're looking at it means they probably have a fair number of vacancies right now and the rental concessions may be larger than you may find in other place you also now can look at the websites any of the um, big property managers for apartment complexes now use software much like the airlines use and you'll be able to see the various levels of rent being charged and in many cases what kind of posted concessions they're making available if you are an existing tenant somewhere and you kind of pick up that they're offering deals to new tenants and they're offering referral fees if you refer people and things like that you probably have a lot more negotiating power on a new lease than you realize because there are a lot of people who because of economic hardship have had to give up their apartment or they're gonna ultimately potentially sadly face an eviction landlords have higher rates of vacancies they got to deal with and if you are an existing tenant somewhere know that even in circumstances where they really need you they only make a deal for an existing tenant if they're worried you're going to bolt so you got to shop the market and then you got to play a game of chicken you can play the game of chicken a lot better if you're willing to move somewhere else and in fact if you go out and look you may find hey you didn't realize there was this much better place you could go to for the same money or less than where you are now but in whatever case surveying the market gets you what you need to be able to negotiate a better deal a lot of apartment complexes are owned by big real estate development companies or partnerships or private equity or whatever and they may have lending covenants that require that they charge certain levels of rent so getting the face amount rent is not likely to be reduced in fact I saw an item in USA Today that overwhelmingly the concession that tenants are getting across the country right now is months of free rent that the landlords will leave the retail price the rent whatever but that they discount by giving you so many months of free rent and so you may find that that's your greatest negotiating power is on a 12-month lease maybe you get two months free or you agree to a 15-month lease with three of the 15 months being free rent or whatever just know that right now you're the boss not the landlord it's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com ask producers kim and joel take turns and whose turn is it Clark, it's mine, and Pete in Florida has a question. He says, I've got a question about Robinhood and other stock trading apps. You're always talking about your preference for investing in diversified funds rather than individual stocks. 
Do you have to go through a traditional large trading house or can you invest in those funds through apps like I'm talking about? My wife, who is a stay-at-home mom and is great at it, by the way, has had a lot of success being a day trader in her spare time. And I'd like to be able to give her more options that she can easily access. Well, I'm very glad that she's been successful to this point. Um, the way you do that with any of the apps like Robinhood is you buy and sell ETFs, exchange-traded funds. An ETF is, this is an incorrect uh, analogy, but it's kind of like a modern version of an index fund where you buy or sell an index as if it was a stock instead of a fund. As far as practical matters, for you, it's really irrelevant, the difference between the two, um, although sometimes an ETF could have lower management fees than an index fund. But it gives you the ability in a single exchange-traded fund to own the total stock market or an international index fund or a third world, uh, what they call emerging market fund or a small company fund or big company or whatever. And so the ETF gives you the ability to have your core to diversify your money. Your first money should be diversified and only your follow-on money should be on individual bets on individual stocks. And the issue of your wife doing day trading, it's really important tax-wise that that be done inside a retirement account and not in a traditional investment account. Because rapid trading of stocks in any case leads to potential serious tax problems in a traditional investment account instead of being in a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. Kim? Chris in Florida says, I know the answer is probably no, but do you think there's ever a time when it makes sense to sell your house because the market is so high and then rent until prices drop? So I have no problem with that as a philosophy because a number of people have seen very large run-ups in the value of homes. Homes have gotten a little ahead of themselves, not anything like before the real estate bust. And if you were to sell, you have as a single individual a quarter million dollars, you pocket tax-free of gain, married couple 500000 So it could generate enormous tax-free gain. The only issue is you're then going to rent, which means you're going to have an ongoing housing cost. And you're going to have to move to move to the rental. And then you're going to move again at a point that the housing market may be potentially more favorable to you buying. And that's a lot of disruption in your life. So it has to be something where the ability for you to be able to pocket a large tax-free gain makes it worth you going through the steps. Uh, one other thing. There's no guarantee that from here, housing prices will hit a decline at some point. Uh, normal cycling says they would move up and down uh, relative to people's income over time, but there's no guarantee that's going to happen. It's more based on demographics and household formation and economic growth. A lot of factors you and I can't necessarily control. Well, we actually can't control them. Joel? Clark Frank in New York says, uh, in the end of August, I paid off the mortgage on my house. 
Congratulations. Uh, that's big time, right? It says, I checked my Credit Karma account today, one month later, and the loan still shows being active. So how long does it take for the credit agencies to reflect the mortgage payoff? It can take a while with a mortgage. Uh, it takes a while for the mortgage to be properly recorded in the legal jurisdiction where it will be recorded. Um, it takes a while for those jurisdictions to update their records. And this in no way is harmful to you. It actually shows it as an active source of your credit. So I would not fret at all about the fact that it's still reflecting there. Um, there can be other circumstances. I had one years ago with a mortgage where my mortgage was sold and my mortgage ended up listing twice, mirroring again and again as if I had two mortgages when I had one, which did cause me a problem at a later date when I was attempting to make another purchase that looked like I had too much debt and I had to go through a process with that. But in your case, I would not worry any way at all. Kim? Andrew in Georgia says, I'm 17 years old and I've recently been told by friends that there's that there is lots of benefits to taking surveys online. I know of a few sites that offer this, but I don't know if they're safe or how to figure out if they are safe. Thank you for asking this question before you signed up with anybody. I have a guide at Clark.com to uh, doing surveys that aren't scams. What a way to put it, because most of them out there are, in fact, scams. And so please go look at the list we have. We also have calculated by trying uh, different team members of Clark.com have tried various survey sites, and we've been able to calculate the effective likely earning rate per hour and for some of them, it is exceedingly small. My son, who's a teenager, recently was interested in doing one of these sites to earn some extra money for game purchases. And when he realized how little money he was earning, that ended pretty quickly for him. Joel? Clark Donna in Georgia says, I work part-time and I need to get my own health insurance. Where should I start looking for health insurance? Do your search. If you have had a change in status, you're able to do so um, outside of what's known as open enrollment period. Start at healthcare.gov. And depending on your state, it will either direct you to a state-specific site or a federal clearinghouse site that is actually healthcare.gov and they'll be able based on a series of questions to tell you if you're eligible to buy health coverage now or if you have to wait till the next open enrollment period later this fall uh, the advantage of going through that is you'll be able to buy a policy that uh, covers pre-existing conditions and has very thorough health coverage the disadvantage is if you don't qualify for subsidy the premium costs will be gigantic. Um, it'll take you through a protocol to determine whether or not you're eligible for subsidies that will make the policy close to free or nearly so. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. 
Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Kate is with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Kate, you have a real financial puzzle to try to put together, don't you? I do. I hope I can be of help with it. Lay out your picture for me if you could. Okay, so um, since COVID has happened and the unemployment has stopped and my husband is back to work, we have still lost about 50% of our income. Oh, I'm so, so sorry. Yeah, it's, it's a huge loss. How, does, um, how so, does the picture look as you look through the rest of this year and into 21? Is the income going to stay depressed or does it look like income will steadily restore over the next six months or so? So right now it looks like it's going to stay about the same for the oh, rest I'm of sorry. the I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So that's what we're trying to plan for. Okay. All right. Um, that's, that's a hard burden to carry. How, how can I help you with that? And what kind of decisions are you trying to make? Great. So right now we have an opportunity um, to pull from a profit sharing account without having to pay the 10% fee. And as far as the taxes go on the income that I would have to list, um, we can either pay it at the end of the year or we can defer it for three years or we can have it spread out over the next three years. So I'm trying to wonder if we should pull money from our profit-sharing account, keep our 401k going, continue to contribute to that, um, or should we just leave the money alone like we normally would and maybe use credit cards for monthly bills? Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, okay. gosh, if, if you're deficit spending, which I imagine you are with income being down 50%, the advantage of Uh, doing the withdrawal is you avoid the 10% penalty and you have the flexibility of the three years. It means you're going to have less money to live on in retirement, but right now you're trying to put out a fire for your finances. What I'm concerned about, even though uh, tactically it's the right decision to make to pull the money out of the profit sharing, avoid the 10%, have some money to live on, and have the three years to pay the taxes, I'm still worried about what you said, that you can't see over the next six months where income is going to get better. And um, that is very concerning. So I do plan on, um, I'm just finishing my accounting degree, so I'm planning on entering the workforce in the next few months. But again, that's very uncertain because our company is going to hire me. Are they hiring right now with the work from home situation? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have experience in the field that my degree is in. So I'm not 100% confident that, yes, in six six months, I will have a job and we will be doubling our income 
So and, it's, and you it's, know, in life, we have to make the best decision we can many times in distressing situations. And this is obviously stressful, what both of you are going through. Um, absolutely. I would say that it is the right decision in your case. You show the clear economic harm you have to have in order to avoid the 10% penalty and be able to take advantage of the three-year tax rule. I would go ahead and do it. And let's say your situation improves dramatically, then you're in a position you can um, pay that money back. Yeah, and that was an option that they said as well, too. So I would, I would get the flexibility that's available to you. And Kate, my hope for you is that the financial ship does stop taking on water and that you end up in really good shape and that a year from now it's like, wow, thank goodness that's over. And best to you and best with your new career as well. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.